Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by my illustrious co-host, Rodney Evans. I feel like I've been promoted to illustrious, and I like it. That's right. Yeah. There could be a demotion on a future app. We don't (laughs) know. Oh, God. This is the 12th episode in our Ready for Anything series on finding a better way of working through pandemics. Um, On today's episode, we are going to talk about mastery, how we grow and mature, the journey of self-discovery and development that we are all on, um, basically how we get good at stuff, right? Uh, But before we unpack that, let's demonstrate our remarkable mastery of the check-in round. (laughs) I feel like we're all having to master so many new things these days. But one (laughs) thing we know how to do for sure is a check-in round. So um, related to the topic at hand, what is an area in which you've gained mastery recently? Uh, It's funny because I feel like lately I've been, you know, skiing on terrain that I know well and just trying to, you know, adapt and navigate this. But I have... Uh, done a couple things in the gaining space. I wouldn't say I'm quite to the mastery level. One is pancakes have gotten a lot nice. better at this house. More Dallin. variety, sourdough pancakes, just oh, getting damn. really serious. All right. Um, and then the second thing is uh, actually doing this work remotely. Uh-huh. I've had quite a few reps recently of trying to get like 40 or 50 people to do a thing for a few hours. Um, and I feel a little bit more confident about that now. Yeah, cool. What about you? Uh it's funny that I thought of this question and then I didn't think of an answer, but that's how checking rounds <laughs> go sometimes. I would say that there are a few things that I'm getting better at. There's a running joke among some of my friends, particularly Jeff and Jonathan, about how bad I am at jigsaw puzzles. Mm. Um, they're like, for a smart person, it is hilarious. It's like watching a dog use a fork. So I'm getting better <laughs> at jigsaw puzzles, which is cool. And I'm also, this is really weird, but I'm getting better at hanging things on walls. Like I'm very Mm -hmm. perfectionisty about it, but I always felt like there were so many steps to get it just right. And now I'm like learning how to reduce those steps and rearrange things in a more efficient way, which seems like not really a useful skill, but I move things around a lot. So for me, it comes into play. Both of those are critical skills for your dotage. They really Uh, really are. And it's funny, I've always lived in old houses, and we forget how how obvious and important the picture rail was. Oh, so um, important. But, you know, I mean, we just got rid of that somewhere along the line. And it was like, why? Why, why? did anyone do that? Now we it's have to so like measure great. and use levels. And it's just it's a it's lot obnoxious. Yeah, it is so, obnoxious. Anyway. Bring back picture rails. That's my soapbox. <laughs> I love it. So um, we're going to talk about mastery today, which I 
feel is one of the least well understood and the most, it's like the place where the most old school, boring, ineffective thinking creeps in. <laughs> Maybe not the most, but like it's right up there. Up it's a there. contender. It's right up there with like compensation. So um, I just feel like we have a lot of long held tropes about how people actually gain mastery that we know are inaccurate. And so today let's upend all of those and figure out how to do it in a better way. Yeah, I like that. And especially in the midst of this moment and this challenge, what you know, what's critical about that thinking changing? What do we need to really focus on? How important is it that we're learning and developing? Like all that is on my mind as well. Yes, agreed. So let's start with why everybody is wrong. Everybody on earth except us. Not really. Why most <laughs> of what we know and think about this could be challenged. Well, I, th- I mean, unfortunately, I think the the primary problem with mastery, which is really just another word for learning and development and growth, um, comes from our school system. Mm-hmm. And so if you really roll the clock back, you know, we're moving from this kind of farming community oriented culture into a place where we needed factory workers and we needed people that would kind of go and punch a clock. And so the, the school system was really built around a very... Um, training for complicated tasks framework. Mm -hmm. Like how do we get people to be compliant? How do we get people to be responsible? How do we get people to avoid risk? How do we get people to make the same widget the right way over and over and over again? Um, And so, you know, and then even for the manager layers that sat above that, how do we get people that are good enough at math to optimize the shape of that part or Mm -hmm. good enough at math to evaluate the, you know, the scope of the factory floor operations? And so, it just really wasn't born in a creative or knowledge economy. It was born in a production economy. And if you fast forward, we mostly are still trained and developed in that way where it's like, learn this data, regurgitate it, get a bathroom pass, school starts at eight and ends at three. Like the bells that ring in school are the same as the bells that used to ring in factories. Like it is nuts how much that's true. Um, And so, you know, it's a real... Uh, very focused machine built to do one thing. And unfortunately, that's just not a thing that a lot of us need to be prepared for anymore. So that's, I think that's like the the ground level. But what would you say that maybe is even more specific to the present misunderstanding? In your explanation, what I notice is just that our approach to learning things in companies and in larger systems like educational systems, it is a very traditional approach. And, and, and we talk a lot on this show about what complication versus complexity is. And um, in, you know, in a complicated process of, you know, shoemaking or car making or whatever, knowing things and knowing how to do things is sufficient. And so what we see a lot of, um, you know, whether it is, like in learning how to use a new piece of technology or doing some kind of like compliance training at work is like the idea that exactly as you said we if we regurgitate a thing that is sufficient but what we all collectively know is that what we need actually is like insight and you have to know things in order to make insight like that's one of the key ingredients in the insight recipe, but, um, that's just the raw eggs. Like it's not cookies, you know, you can't, you can't eat that. So we need to think about what the other pieces of the learning and curiosity process are that lead to real knowledge and ultimately to insight and not sort of stop with, did you check the boxes of 
you know, what we told you and are you ability and your ability to say it back to us. Yeah. And the difference between knowing something, memorizing something, mastering something. I mean, they're all so different. Like, you know, you could be someone that was like aware of every basketball statistic since the dawn of the sport that doesn't make you good at basketball. Exactly. Um, being good at basketball is an embodied knowledge, right? It, it happens throughout the body and the mind and it comes from practice. And I think so many of the things that matter now are like that, including things like making pancakes and farming and gardening and, you know, healthcare and all these sorts of things where the retention is a piece of the puzzle, but it's not the whole thing. And on the retention front, I think we've just gotten way too enamored with, you know, can you take the multiple choice quiz? Do you know the, you know, the capitals of the 50 states? I don't remember who said this, but one of my favorite quotes I've heard in the last 10 years was anything worth memorizing is worth looking up. Mm. Um, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like just That's Google great. it or, you know, I don't need to know the capital of Kansas. I can just look it up. Like what yeah. good does that really do me in today's society? And so the same thing goes for work where it's like, you know, not only is, is regurgitation, not mastery, but for so many of the jobs that we do, they can't be encapsulated that way anyway. So mm -hmm. it's like, just cause you can take a test that shows that, you know, everything about our sales process doesn't make you good at sales. That's right. And so who cares? Who cares? And it's so interesting because because of all of our historic tendencies and the way that the OS has been designed around mastery, I almost feel like there's an allergy to practice sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like yes. I notice this in myself like right now because pandemic, I'm doing so much yoga. So much more yoga than I normally do because I can't go to the other places that I go to get physical exercise. So I'm doing so much yoga. Right. And I was saying to Ed last night, I finished a practice and I was like, you know, I, I, I now can do this thing. I've been practicing yoga for 20 years. I now can do this thing that I have never been able to do before. And I was like, isn't that crazy? And it was like, well, not really because you're doing yoga every day. And when you <laughs> practice literally anything – Every single day, you get better at it. But I think we institutionally, and I see this a lot in companies, have this thing where it's like study looks one way and it looks like mm -hmm. a particular way of being. And when I'm working with people out in the world and trying to help them gain mastery in new ways of working, the things that I really want to do with them is like, I show you once, then you do it while I coach you, then you do it on your own, then you show someone else, then you coach them while they do it. It's like the very like Shuhari method mm -hmm. that I fundamentally believe in. But most people are very comfortable with the like, I'll watch you do it. Mm -hmm. And then that's where that where the comfort with that process ends. And yeah, when I'm exactly, like, exactly. no, you need to do it now and do a bad job at it and then get coaching and just keep doing it and keep getting reps and keep practicing. And that is what mastery looks like. People are like, Ugh, I don't want to do that in front of anybody. Like, I don't want to do it poorly. I don't want to do it. But doesn't that in practice? Doesn't that sort of, you know, uh, highlight our psych safety problem and our fear that like work is about execution, work is about being perfect, work is of about course. everything being, you know, buttoned up. And so the idea that you would learn on the job is just like, <gasps> you know, know, especially if you're important, especially if you're a leader, especially if you're visible to the system, like that you would be vulnerable and be, you know, air quotes, broken enough yeah. to have to learn something. Yeah. Oh my God. Like the, you know, just everybody has to like get a fan. And I, I just feel like it's so, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Couch. 
Yeah, exactly. Like just get me back on that chaise. Um, but but I feel like it's you know it's fundamental to understanding the nature of of knowledge and mastery to accept that like yeah, getting good at stuff is about practice and it is about deliberate practice and particularly in complexity, um, getting good at things is a long journey. And so the idea that we would expect ourselves to be masters of anything uh, in the first place and for very long um, is is a wild thing to me. It is wild. It is. It really is. And it's one of the reasons, and this is like practical tip for people who are trying to engender this kind of uh, practice and learning by doing at work. I always really over index in the moment where someone is going to try the thing for the first time, whether that's like they're going to try drafting an even overstatement or they're going to try facilitating a check-in round or they're going to try running a retrospective. I really over do it on being like, thank you for going first. And like, no matter how bad somebody is on their first rep, I'm like, you know, what's really harder than anything else here is doing it first and doing it poorly because like everybody else is second through a thousandth have the benefit of somebody who's not an expert doing it first. So first of all, be that person. When I'm in a learning context, uh, and I do a fair amount of that out in the world where I am a student, I always volunteer to go first because I'm like, the expectations are the lowest, A. B, (laughs) I get the most coaching as the first person. And C, you're the example. C, I want to get it over with. And D, I feel like it is the way that I want to show up with like curiosity and vulnerability to things that I'm not good at. It's just by being like, I will practice and I'll practice publicly. Well, and something you said highlights the, one of the last distinctions that I want to make about our misunderstandings, which is, you know, you said when you're in a learning context, I think most people run around <laughs> thinking that like learning happens only in a classroom, only in a training session, only in a certification. Mm-hmm. And then when we're at work, we're not learning. And of course, it's the exact opposite that's, that's true. That's so true. Like we, we're, most of our learning is happening on the job. Uh, it's happening day to day. It's hand to hand. And so the idea that we're not always learning is crazy. And the only question is just what are we learning and mm-hmm. how fast? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the things I have been good at throughout my career, there's a lot of things I've had to like relearn and unlearn, and <laughs> fight my instincts. But one thing I've always been good at is just like putting people in the deep end, like yeah. right away. You know, even from my earliest, you know, companies, it was like someone would come on, they'd be like, you know, pretty green, wet behind the ears. And it was like, hi, let me introduce you to your client. This is the CMO of Pepsi. Figure it out, 23 year old. And it like that, that is high stress, but it's also really high learning because you kind of have to swim. And so I've always been a big believer that like the work is where that happens. And to the extent that you can build more feedback loops, more reps, more chances into the work, you have a better learning ecosystem and you're going to have more mastery faster. And we've talked before on this show about self-awareness, but like what we are often rewarded for in bad teaming disciplines is hiding what our edges are and like finding ways to compensate and like be performative so that we don't have to admit it. To me, the way that you get a lot of that you create your own safety around learning and that you actually get some control around it is by articulating what your edges are and asking people for help. Because when I start with like, as I did this morning with like our new team member in a chartering session, I was like, here are the two things that I'm working on right now. If you see me do these things, please tell me I need data and I need feedback. And now like 
I've given everybody an invitation to tell me when I'm screwing up in these particular ways. It's not going to hurt my feelings. It's not going to come as a surprise. It's going to be really useful data because it's not going to be someone saying like, you know, giving me feedback that is completely off piste and that I have no ability to process. So I feel (laughs) like the way to move yourself into the mindset of mastery is to get clear on what some of your edges are and then ask for the help that you need and be really explicit and articulate about saying those things. And like, you know, be expansive in who you say them to. Like when you know what your edges are, like I am not afraid to say to my clients, here's the thing I'm working on. I would love your feedback. Because like, I'm not like a person who knows more stuff than they do and am more of an expert than they are there. Like (laughs) they are also experts in their world. And so it's really helpful for me to say like, this is a thing that I am, that is on my mind. Tell me what you see. And like, I find clients to be great feedback partners. And for any listener or friend of a listener who's like, yeah, but that makes you weak or that kind of, you know, lowers your position in the ecosystem. You know, there are such great cases out there of people who use their hunger and their curiosity for learning and for sort of being humble to the people they're learning from to create positions of extreme power. Of course. I mean, if you look at someone like a Shane Parrish at Farnham Street or a Tim Ferriss, like yeah. most of their career was about going to other people and saying, you know stuff, I don't know stuff, teach me. Yes. And then just writing it down or making a podcast about it. And, yes. and you know, that kind of aw shucks um, openness over time builds to this place where it's like, wow, Shane's talked to like almost all the most interesting people in the world and knows a lot of stuff now. And so yeah. that I think you just have to think about it as a cumulative effect rather than a one time vulnerability. Like the cumulative effect is that you just get more. You get more connections, you get more insights, you get more feedback, more tips. And then over time, you go from being exposed to being like, well, you know, you need to talk to this person because they're mad connected and mad, you know, knowledgeable about a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And like, you know, the worst kept secret you have is what you're bad at. Everybody already knows. So you might as well just be like, (laughs) I also know. And uh, I'd love help on this because, you know, posturing does not convince anyone that you don't have an edge. So I'm curious, given that we've, you know, framed the the garden here of, of mastery and growth, what's different about it now? Or what's extreme about it now? How are you seeing that? So my maybe like counterintuitive take on this right now is I feel like a lot of people are overwhelmed right now in a lot of different ways. Like there's emotional overwhelm. There's actual day-to-day overwhelm because of all the responsibilities that many people have taken on that they didn't have before. And so I think right now learning a new thing or gaining more mastery in a thing that we have to perform can feel like just another thing to add to the list. Okay, so that's my full disclaimer. Now that disclaimed, I also think that like learning and curiosity right now are really good salves for our brains. Because Mm -hmm. in a time of heightened anxiety and uncertainty about the world writ large, it's really cool and useful to 
take a micro thing and be like, here's a thing that I am going to make progress against in a world where we feel like we actually don't have the ability to make a lot of systemic progress about the economy or around policy or around a pandemic. Like there, we all feel, I think, a, bit, a little bit hamstrung around a yeah. lot of the things that we would like to be impacting. And so I'm finding right now, like I, my friend Mary gave me an old record player that they were getting rid of. And it's like, I'm just learning like basic electrical right now. And it feels very good <laughs> for my brain, which wakes up in the morning being like, oh my God, what's happening? To be like, you know what? I'm going to fix this record player. And like yeah. that, I just like, I get into flow and I get into a different space and it's like low consequence learning, but it just lets me work out some curiosity in a way that feels really like tangible and productive. And so whether that's record players or that's something at work where you're like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really learn about what all all the capabilities of this video platform are because I'm going to be the person who teaches my team how to do breakouts or how to use funny backgrounds or whatever. I just think like if we can take some of those moments right now, A, to tame some of the chaos, that's helpful, but also just to like let our brains do that thing that feels very different than most of what we're doing. Yeah. I think the way I would summarize it is that, at least in my experience and my observation, people are doing a lot of explicit learning at home, baking mm -hmm. bread, rewiring, hanging pictures, like figuring out how to do stuff. Um, <laughs> one of my good friends in Texas just installed a bidet for the first time. Sure. Um, and was like, this is what I'm doing now. This is my <laughs> life now. Um, and <laughs> so there's very explicit kind of crafty learning happening at home. And then at work, I actually think there's a lot of implicit mm -hmm. drink from the fire hose learning happening that we're not even acknowledging, which is like, we're learning how to work from home. We're learning how to work from home with family. We're learning how to do everything remotely. We're learning how to navigate, you know, extreme volatility. Like there's a lot of stuff being thrown at us that we're sort of just treating as swirl, but in actuality is like a bunch of very discrete learning objectives that we are navigating every day. And that's why we're so tired. Yes. Like you get to the end of a day right now and you're like, I'm really exhausted. And I had the observation and I didn't think this was true before, but I had the observation the other day. I actually think remote facilitation is more exhausting than in-person facilitation. 100% it Which is. is super weird to just acknowledge that like I don't have to move or shake like I do in the room and I don't have to like set up and move materials around, but I'm more tired because it is asking something different of me. Um, and it's asking something that, you know, is about moving a lot of energy through a lot of pipes. So anyway, I think there's like this explicit thing happening at home, this implicit thing happening at work. And even if we don't set out to learn anything, um, I think just our natural state, our natural way of being is going to be to acquire that knowledge, which I suppose is another, you know, insider thing to note about people is the old model, the kind of legacy organizational model assumes that people are lazy and won't learn on their own mm -hmm. unless we make them learn. Mm -hmm. And the new evolutionary model is, no, no, no. People want to learn and develop mastery. It's an innate human instinct and they will do it, especially if you kind of like hold them up in their house with nothing to do. Like yeah. if you leave people alone with without, uh, you know, too much Netflix, they will learn an enormous amount of stuff. It's sort yeah. of, it's the whole premise behind unschooling. And right now at this time, we all have an opportunity and sort of an imperative to do self-work that we wouldn't do before. So like use your facilitation example. And it's funny because I was talking to one of my very dearest friends the other day about why being on video all day is so exhausting. And I was saying to her, and I will say to you, I think one of the reasons <laughs> is because 
when you're a facilitator and you're in a room and you are moving energy and you're like creating a space for things to unfold, you have all of this data of like body language and micro expression and, you know, things that we're not even keenly aware of, like smell and all of these other things that on video we're missing. So you're trying to do exactly the same work and you're missing like 90% of the data that you would normally have. Yeah, through a pinhole. And that is so, so hard. But if you have that insight and you have that awareness, then you can think like, okay, well, what could I do differently to get more of that data? Maybe it's that we need people to verbalize or write things down that normally I would infer from body language. Or maybe it's that we need to do a collective activity on a screen rather than do things more. Like whatever the things are, I think there's just an opportunity right now to go like, okay, I'm noticing that I'm exhausted. Why is that? Maybe it's because of this. How can I think differently about this? Or, you know, if you're a leader right now that's really struggling with like trust, which a lot of leaders are in this moment, just having the thing of like, account for every 15 minutes of what you do because <laughs> I don't believe that you're doing or whatever your whatever your bag is. Now is a really good moment for you to be like, oh, this is my work to do. Like this actually is not my employee's work to make me feel comfortable. It's my own work to figure out why I can't and don't trust these people and like to dig a little bit into that. Like these are the facets of mastery that are very, very interesting. And right now we have to do those things through necessity or we're just like not going to have a team left when we go back to the office. So, um, you know, that sort of noticing and, and sensing and then trying something, I think, uh, I think now's the time for it. I totally agree with that. What it sparked for me, though, is this recognition that I sort of want to turn the bus around and and go at this from a different angle, which is in a time of chaos or crisis, there's also a case to be made for places in the, in the business and in, in the organization and operations where we actually just want people with mastery already to mm. do certain things. Mm-hmm. And so I want to highlight that, like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of learning. There's a lot of novelty. There's a lot of that going on. There's definitely a chance for us to to choose some things to build mastery on. And um, when the ship is sinking, I don't want someone to be like, so let me learn how to patch holes. Sure. Like, it's like, hey, let's get the guy who knows how to do that right front and center, right? And so I think this is a good moment while we're acknowledging all that to say, if there are things that are critical that are, you know, that our survival depends on that we think are kind of, um, you know, right at the center. If we have mastery in house, let's make sure that we're getting out of the way that we're that we're letting that mastery step forward um, and and take that stuff on. And then, you know, when we're in a more peaceful time, we can we can have more apprenticeship and we can have more reps and vice versa. If there are things that are not super critical, but that we have some space for, let's make more reps, let's make more opportunity for for growth and exchange. But I just didn't want to let this whole conversation go on uh, without acknowledging that like, when the house is on fire, I want a, you know, a fireman or firewoman like right in front, telling me what to do. Like, I don't necessarily need to have everybody being like, so let's let's make a list, let's brainstorm a list of ways to put out a fire. I so I think that's true. But I have a but, which is Um, I think that's true, but right now we also need to be super careful about over-reliance because it impedes resilience. And when we have people who are in most of the clients that I'm around, like 
people are being knocked down either directly by the illness or by needing to caretake for other people impacted or other things. Like, yeah, if you're the guy who knows how to patch the ship, great. If you're the only guy who knows how to patch the ship, maybe bring a couple of other people to learn it while you're doing it in case you get sick on Monday and then nobody knows how to do it. So it's like, I think there's a balance there of like, now might not be the time for us to all cross train on each other's jobs, but also (laughs) it kind of might be that time depending on what the composition is of mastering. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's great. And, And also, I mean, I love the pushback because it also highlights for me the difference between positional authority and mastery. Totally. Like what I'm what I don't want people to confuse is, oh, well, then let's just all turn to leaders and be like, save us. That's not what I'm talking about. No. And just because someone has a position of authority or more power does not mean they have more mastery. Absolutely. Mastery is is all purely about the skill. It's about the ability to produce an outcome against a pattern. And so I think that we also need to be more mindful of like who's actually good at this. Mm-hmm. Like where does that where does that live and then how can we kind of activate that and to your point make that more redundant if it's not redundant already. Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about mastery, we have to talk about feedback because feedback from our environment is such an important part of our learning. And we've done a whole episode on feedback, which y'all should go listen to. Kim Scott was on it and it was rad. But uh, I think in this moment, uh, feedback might look a little bit different and our ability to hear it and integrate it might also look a little bit different. (laughs) So so do you want to just talk about, you know, right now as we're trying to develop the mastery we need to survive and also do curiosity and learning because it's good for our brain, what does feedback that's helpful look like? Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, two two thoughts occur to me. Uh, one is about rhythm and the other is about um, depth and kind of emotional cognitive load. Yeah. So uh, on the rhythmic front, I think, you know, in areas of the business and in skill zones that are critically important right now and high change, high volatility, just like more frequent feedback is probably a good idea if it's light touch and just light, you know, we're just constantly kind of keeping the communication flowing inside the system. What's happening with this? How's this going? You know, sharing, being transparent, all the things we talked about in information space, because feedback, of course, really blends the lines between information space and mastery. Um, It starts as information and maybe leads to mastery. So I think, you know, just thinking about that feedback ecology is something that we want to keep on tighter loops for a while, because who knows what next week may bring Mm -hmm. um, is pretty critical. At the same time, I think we probably want to back off a little bit from feedback that is just really challenging. uh, That is the kind of feedback that people need a lot of space to process that they need emotional energy to process. Like I don't have emotional energy right now to deal with your nitpick about the way I show up to whatever. And so it's probably not going to be received well, and it's probably not going to be acted on in this moment. So if you can sit on it or if you can find a way to couch it or make it a little (laughs) bit gentler, I would really appreciate that. I think that's the other side of it. So it's like faster, lighter weight feedback and save some of the heavy stuff or figure out how to make it digestible because uh, we're not all open for business right now on that. Yeah. Yeah. That totally lands with me. I, I do subscribe to the school that always 
bolstering and encouraging what is good is a better practice than spending a lot of time on what is not good or where there's developmental areas, even though people say that's what they want. They're lying to themselves. Um, (laughs) But I feel like especially now, you know, I just have a lot of conversations with people who are like trying to do the right thing for their teams and they're trying to do the right thing for their families. And what they don't really need is me to be like, here's another thing for you to think about that sucks. (laughs) be better. So I am trying to spend more time and be more cognizant both with my teammates from the ready and also with clients and also like with my husband of just being like, I see that. I appreciate that. Thank you for doing that. Because for most of us, a lot of things feels more effortful right now than it would normally, and particularly working in a complex system that doesn't want to be upset feels more difficult and molasses-like than it normally does. (laughs) And so I feel like now is a really good moment to, if if you're seeing something great and you want someone to gain mastery of that thing, just like give that fire a lot of oxygen right now and give people the emotional bolstering that they need to keep doing a thing that is probably harder in this context than it normally would be. It's a nice build on what I was saying because it doesn't mean you have to turn off your feedback uh, you know, habit and and it doesn't mean that you have to stop observing. It just means that you're now observing and this really aligns with the main takeaways from the feedback episode. But like you're really focusing on what's going well and yes. what can we lean into, what can we double down on? How can we all be um, amazing at a few things? And that's the best part about working in a self-managing, self-organizing system where you have a role mix, where you have dynamism about what people do with their time and energy is I don't need 50 average colleagues. Like the last thing I want to do is make you, Rodney, a little bit better at the thing you suck at. Like who cares already? Instead, what I want is I want you to be a unbelievable talent in the few spaces where you're already extraordinary. And I want someone else who's really good at the other stuff to do better at that. And if we all play that game, you end up with an all-star team instead mm-hmm. of like an average high school basketball team. Yes. Um, and so I just think like that's so true intuitively. But then when it comes time for feedback, we all just forget, 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 forget that. We do. And one really tactical thing that I just thought about as you were saying that, Aaron, is like, if we all think about how much of that positivity we get because we're in person and we're like Mm -hmm. smiling at each other and we're nodding during the meeting. And then like we're missing so much of that right now that I have found myself in a lot of meetings every week, like sending quick chats to someone and being like, that was a great point. Or like that took real courage or like that was really great. Stick with it. And, and sort of just, For all of us where we're seeing greatness in the world and in every day, we can't take it for granted that people see that we see it. We have to be a little bit more explicit and a little bit more disciplined right now about saying like, I see what you're doing and it's great because it's not as inferred just by like the vibe as normal. And that is a wonderful place to close because it gives me the opportunity to say, I so appreciate co-hosting this show with you. And uh, it's, yeah, it's the highlight of my day. It's the best. All right. um, it is. All right. So let's, uh, let's wrap it up. That was super fun. Uh, as always, if you like what you're hearing, 
please do review us or share this podcast on LinkedIn. I love it when people talk about this show on LinkedIn. It's so fun to see. Um, so yeah, if you drop out the link, uh, you know, we're more than halfway through this arc of ready for anything. And we really are hoping that it is something that is serving you in your business at this time. So please share far and wide. You know, we really appreciate it. And of course, a quick tip of the hat, as usual, to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good from our closet, from the lake house. Uh, Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. You can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. If you are an organization who's thinking about this stuff, who's working on this, who's in the midst of change or anticipating a change, you can get in touch with us by emailing hello at theready.com. Um, and we can we can talk about what's going on with you. Um, and as for you, the listener, uh, thanks for being here with us. Now go change something. Bye.